0: Thanks, Glenn. So the trick with writing a sermon is you just write it so that you don't have to read any of the tricky names. That's like, it's just what I do. So I'm, I'm not even going to say it. Well, as we've already mentioned, it's two weeks till Christmas, right? And uh, I wonder if you're ready. In your head, you've, yep, some people are shaking their heads, good Good honesty. Uh, in your heads, you've probably got lists that you need to do. there's a thing that you've got to tick off, some of you are probably practical people, so you've actually got physical lists that you've got to tick off, there's presents you've got to buy, there's food you've got to get, there's invites maybe that you have to send out, there's that phone call you've got to make to make sure you're, you, know, you know where you're going, Christmas Day, two weeks to go, and there's a lot to get done, and are you ready And today, we're beginning our Christmas series. In the lead up to Christmas, we're thinking about what it means to be ready. In the traditional Christmas calendar, this time is called Advent. And I'm sure if you think of Advent, you probably think of those cheap little Advent calendars that you get in like Audi with the yucky chocolates. It's that sort of thing, but it's slightly different. See, Advent means arrival or coming. And Advent is the four Sundays in the lead up to Christmas. It started on the 27th of November, and this is, the whole point of it is to get ready for Jesus. That's the point of it. Not to get ready for Christmas, but to get ready for Jesus. But let me ask this question, what happens if you're not ready for Christmas? What would it look like to not be ready? Well, I think firstly, the food. The food's going to be subpar, isn't it? It'll be like tin of baked beans or something for for your Christmas lunch. I personally have no problems with that. That's probably what we'll be doing. Uh, But, uh, you know, or or that awkward moment where you get to the family Christmas and you've forgotten to buy your Auntie Sue a a Christmas present. Everyone has an Auntie Sue and, and, you know, you've got to get them a Christmas present. If you're not ready for Christmas, there are some kind of consequences, aren't there? But if you're not ready for Jesus... There's actually much bigger consequences. See, the passage today is about what God does to get His people ready for the coming of Jesus. And there were huge consequences, huge consequences for the people of Israel and for us if we're not ready. See, Christmas is not about the food or the gifts or the family. Christmas is about Jesus, And if we're not ready for Jesus, then we'll miss him. And if we miss him, then we're going to miss out on him. And so the stakes couldn't be higher. If we're not ready, then we're going to miss Jesus. And if we miss Jesus, then we'll miss out on him. So let's have a look at the passage we just read. And we're introduced there to husband and wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And there's three things we learn about them. Firstly, they come from a priestly family. Both of them have this priestly heritage. Uh, Yeah, both of them come from kind of priestly families and Zechariah himself is a priest in the temple. Secondly, we learn that they are righteous. Look at verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. These were people who followed God, who trusted in Him, who did the sacrifices, who confessed their sin, who lived, who tried to live blamelessly before Him, and who who, who are righteous people in the sight of God. And the third thing we learn is that they are childless. Uh, we're not sure entirely why, but but two reasons. Firstly, for whatever reason, they just can't have kids. But secondly, they've now hit a stage of life where they just can't have kids. They're they're too old. And and if you know the Bible well enough, you'll know that there are a number of people in the Bible who cannot have children. You know, Think of Abraham and Sarah, or uh, Hannah and, and Elkanah in Samuel. And you know that when this kind of problem of childlessness is brought up in the Bible... You know that that is being a setup for God, who is about to step in and do something amazing. God is about to show up and do something incredible for His people, and that is exactly what is about to happen here. And so, Zechariah he gets chosen to go into the temple to do burn the incense, and this is a, this is a pretty special job. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There was about 18,000 priests at the time. And so the fact that he got chosen to go and do that job is kind of like winning the priestly version of the lottery. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He gets to go in there, burn the incense, and an angel of the Lord comes and gives him a message. And as usual, whenever an angel appears to someone, the person is terrified, uh, if you've seen an angel but you weren't afraid, I uh, hate to break it to you, you probably didn't see an angel. Uh, but every time an angel appears, they always begin by saying, don't be afraid. It's kind of the default answer because everyone is terrified. And then we get this actual, we, we actually get what he says there in verse 13. Look at that with me. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Zechariah is told that God has heard his prayer and is going to answer his prayer. They're going to have a son, and they're to name him John, which means God's grace. That is, this child is going to be part of God's undeserved kindness to his world. And Zechariah's prayers, it must have been more than just a prayer for children. It certainly was that, certainly did include that. But Zechariah is part of the faithful people of God who are holding on to God's promises They are clinging on to the hope that God will finally do what He's always promised to do. And so God, in His undeserved kindness, is fulfilling both of Zechariah's prayers, giving them a child, but at the same time is going to show His undeserved kindness to His world uh, through this person. God is going to come and rescue His people, and kind of phase one of the plan is to send John. John. Unfortunately, though, Zechariah is not convinced and he has this moment of doubt and so he asks God for a sign. And so the angel gives him this sign. He says that Zechariah won't be able to speak when he leaves the temple. And it's this moment of doubt, this failure to believe that God would do what he said he would. This sign is a form of judgment on Zechariah as well for his unbelief. And so effective immediately, as soon as Zechariah leaves the temple, he's unable to speak. He has to uh, perform this little mime, this little skit to try and get people to to understand what's happened in the temple. And Zechariah finishes his week of priestly service, and him and his wife head back home. And then nine months later, the baby is born, and Zechariah names him John. And that's the story. But what does that actually mean, and what does it mean for us? And it all hangs on what the child is going to do. But before we get to what the child will do, uh, we learn uh, a few things, uh, three things, about what he will be like and, and, what, and what, he, what will happen. Now, firstly, we're told that many will rejoice because of his birth. Not all, not some, but many. It's not an insignificant number, but they will rejoice because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. John is going to be someone who's going to be really, really important. Secondly, we're told that he's not going to drink alcohol. Uh, This is a sign of someone who's special and different, who's been set aside by God for a particular purpose. And thirdly, John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. When the Holy Spirit comes on someone in the Bible in this manner, what God is doing is empowering them to be able to accomplish the work that God has set for them. That is, God is going to give him the resources to be able to do what God wants him to be able to do. And those three things make John a pretty remarkable person. In fact, if you were living in Palestine around uh, 30 AD... Funny fact, no one would have heard of Jesus. No one would have known who Jesus was. You know, before Jesus began his ministry, Jesus was just a carpenter working in his father's shop. No one would have heard of him. He lived in this backwater town up the north. No one knew of Jesus. But you ask anyone else who was, like, the famous person, who who was the best preacher in town, they all would have been able to tell you it was John. John was a remarkable person. He he was he was this prophet, this weird quirky guy who who lived out in the wilderness, who dressed really funny, but everyone knew that he had something important to say. There hadn't been a prophet in Israel for hundreds of years and here was someone who looked like a prophet, spoke like a prophet, who was a prophet, and people flocked to him. He was a popular guy, he was great in the sight of the Lord, and in the sight of many people as well. So that's who John was. But he had a particular job to do, and it's there in verses 16 and 17. It says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, the summary of all, of all those two verses is there right at the end. Did you catch that? End of verse 17, John is going to make a people prepared for the Lord. See, the Lord is coming and the nation of Israel, they weren't ready And so if the Lord came at that moment, they would have missed out. They would have missed him, and so they would have missed out on him. And so John's role is to get people ready for the coming of the Lord. And so what John has to do is he has to try and turn people back to the Lord, their God. Through the power of the Spirit, John is going to tell people that they need to repent, that they need to change their ways, and to come back to him. And so Uh, There in verse 17, where we get kind of what it is that that looks like. What does it look like to get people ready? It's there in verse 17. And the angel is quoting from Malachi chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, uh, come to Malachi chapter 4. It's the last book in the Old Testament, just before the book of Matthew. Malachi chapter 4, and, and look at verse five Malachi four verse five See I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord uh, sorry I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. See, the day of the Lord is coming, the day of judgment, and what needs to happen before that day is reconciliation. A reconciliation, uh, it's, it says there, it talks about, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And I don't think it's talking literally about reconciliation between family members, although that, you know, that is important. Brother, it's a metaphor for the reconciliation that needs to happen between God and His people. See, John needs to convince people to be reconciled to God before it is too late. The nation of Israel had wandered away, and John's job was to bring them back. To bring them back, so that when God did come, they would recognize Him, run to Him before the coming destruction. And so for John to get the people, of Na- the people of Israel ready, there was this two-step process. You know, when you're getting ready for Christmas, right, there's all these different steps involved, isn't there? Firstly, you've got to like, jump in the car, go to the shops, buy the presents. Assume that's one step, although that's like 50. Then you've, got to, uh, then you've got to get home. You've got to get the wrapping paper. You've got to wrap the present, put the label on it. Right? There's all these little steps. Or food. Man, food's a hassle, isn't it? go to the shops, buy the food, bring the food home, prep the food, cook the food, then you got to like serve the food and eat the food. There's all these steps involved. But for John to get the people ready, it was a pretty simple process. He had to firstly warn the people of their sin and its consequences. And then to, to point the people to the person who could save them. And if, they, if the people weren't ready for Jesus, then they would face the consequences of their sin. The great and dreadful day of the Lord was just around the corner. Judgment was coming. And so part of John's uh, proclamation, his sermon in Luke chapter 3, is to say that the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, John's message is a message of judgment. He says, watch out, get ready before it's too late. And while that message sounds harsh, there's also hope. Because John doesn't just proclaim judgment, he doesn't just point out their sin, he also tells them about their saviour, that there was someone who was coming to rescue them. And that person, of course, was Jesus, God in the flesh, who would save his people from their sin by taking their sin on himself. And you know, John's message still applies to us today. We need to be ready for Jesus, because the great and dreadful day of the Lord is still to come. And so are we ready? Are we ready for Jesus? And being ready looks like two things. There's two things in this passage about what it looks like to be ready for him. It's there in verse 17. Let me read that. And he will go on before you... Sorry, he will go on before the the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, two things there. Firstly be reconciled to God. See our savior has come and Jesus has made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. Do you remember what they, do you remember what the angels say to the shepherds when they appear? Do you remember that little, you know, it's based off Hark the Herald Angels sing or all, all that thing, but there's the shepherds who are in the fields, they're looking after the sheep and then the angels appear. Do you remember what they say there? It's there in Luke chapter 2 verse 14. The angels appear and they say, "Glory to God in, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favour rests." that peace to those on whom His favour rests. See, God is declaring peace with us, and peace there doesn't mean like tranquility or a sense of peacefulness. Peace there means a ceasefire. God is declaring a truce. Now, in Jesus, God was declaring an end to His enmity. And so, in Jesus, we can have peace with God. We can once again be reconciled to Him. But to have peace with God, not tranquility or peacefulness, but like real peace, a ceasefire, to have a truce with God means that we need to belong to Jesus. We need to swap sides. Not living for ourselves, but living for him. See, if Jesus isn't our saviour, then when he comes, he won't come to save us. Rather, we'll face the acts of God's judgment. And so do you belong to Jesus? Are you reconciled to God? Are you ready? See, I think the next two weeks is a great time for us to consider where you might be at with Jesus. You know, don't assume that you belong to him. Make absolutely certain. Make sure that you belong to Jesus. Because if you're not ready for Jesus, then when he comes, you're going to miss out on the salvation that he brings. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non Christian, all of us need to be ready for Jesus. And so I I think we've got two weeks. Let's give ourselves that deadline. No point saying, Oh, I'll get this sorted in five years, or I'll work it out later, or you know, I've got time on my hands. How do you know that? Are you sure? The great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming. Are you ready? Let's give ourselves a deadline. Let's say two weeks. Let's, let's, over the next two weeks, let's give this a, a really good shot at getting our hearts in shape to make sure that Jesus really is our King who died for us and who rose again. And if you're not really, really sure of that, then watch out. Watch out. And so number one, be reconciled to God. But secondly... Let's live wise lives. It says so the second half, verse, verse 17, uh, John is to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. See, the wise way to live, the best way to live, is not in disobedience but in righteousness. And so what we need to do is we, we need to have the kind of life that will make the king smile. That's what we're looking for. That's the wise and righteous life, the kind of life that the king wants. You know, you get ready for a Christmas party by, by, you know, getting dressed in the right clothes, doing the makeup, getting the food out of the fridge, ready to take. You get ready for a Christmas party in all these ways, and you get ready for Jesus by putting on the kind of life that is pleasing to him. And again, I think the next two weeks is is the perfect time for us to consider what things in your life and in my life that we need to get rid of and to change that we are ready for Jesus. You know, our disobedience is an affront to our King. We need to be ready. And so I think in the next two weeks, let's consider what we need to take off and what we need to put on. Let's test our character. Let's test our convictions, our thoughts, our attitudes. Let's see what we need to do. Let's repent. Let's change. Because the Lord is coming. And let's get ready. Yeah, and here's the thing, right? Just like the first Christmas, Christmas really is a celebration. It truly is. It's great that our King has come, that our Saviour is here. But actually, you know what, it's actually only a celebration if we're ready. If we're not ready, then the coming of Jesus is a terrible and scary thing. I'm going to pray, uh, and this prayer is a prayer that I've adapted from a book called Prone to Wonder. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, you graciously and generously fill our lives with many wonderful things. You bless us with friends, family, and wealth that most people in this world can't even imagine. But we confess today that we are prone to love your good gifts far more than we love you. We covet and we long for things that you haven't given us, or we are filled with fearful anxiety if we think that you might take away the things or people that we have come to love so much. Father, thank you for your deep and endless mercy to rebels like us. We have trampled on the blood of your precious and only son time and time again. We know that we deserve your wrath, and yet when we approach you, we find grace and mercy instead. Father, please help us to get ready for Jesus. Help us to turn from sin and to turn to him. Help us to be trusting in him and to be turning from our disobedience and our sin, we pray. Amen.